and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast, the code 60 of movie podcasts. I'm Chris Ratcliffe, as ever I'm with Martin Spain, and we're here to discuss many things in this episode, including what we think of the state of car YouTube. But first, we usually start now with what we've been watching, and we've both been watching the same thing. And I think we both love it, and that is Will Buxton's love letter to Lamar. I love this so much. I sent it to you, uh, having seen it on Will Buxton's Twitter feed. I think he said, you know, this, this, he may even have described it as a love letter to Le Mans. It was certainly a labour of love in making it. And I was watching it and I got five minutes in and I sent it to you saying, this is really good. And I just kept watching. And it is really a spectacular piece of work. Now, we've, we're big supporters of Will Buxton on the podcast. We championed yep. his... Um, YouTube channel that he set up during lockdown and his This Week with Wheels Buxton show, which has been excellent. It subsequently moved on to Motorsport TV, but it is still free. So you get a little like teaser trailer on the YouTube channel and then the full things on um, Motorsport TV. Um, I've watched some of them. I haven't watched all of them because... I don't know. It, having to go to a different platform than YouTube when I'm watching it before work in the morning mm. is slightly distracting. But for this, I thought, I've got to go and check this out. This has got to be interesting because this was Will's first time at Le Mans. For such a, a an avowed petrol head and lover of all things motorsport, I'm really surprised it was his first Le Mans. And I was watching this, and I've written it down on a bit of paper so I remember to say it, only Will Buxton could have made this only Will Buxton, because yes. if you think about it, so many of the drivers coming through the junior single seaters, coming through GP2, as was, and F2, at the time when Will was commentating and was the press officer for, he knows them. He's known them since they were not kids, but, you know, young adults. He's got a relationship with them. He's got a rapport. He's got a trust. And so he can just wander mm. up to these, these drivers who have obviously kind of hit the ceiling of single-seaters and gone, well, what else is there to do in, in a, to be a professional racing driver? Um, Le Mans, endurance racing, WEC, sports car racing. And so he can just walk up to these drivers and say, hey, how's it going? And they know who he is and they trust him and they'll give him time. Even in the middle of a race, they'll give him their thoughts, their honest, unfiltered thoughts on how it's going. And I can't think of another presenter who would be able to do that in the Le Mans paddock? Maybe John Heindhoff. I, I, I don't think he has that kind of relationship that I think Will was able to have with a lot of these drivers. And so him just being able to wander around the paddock and, and wander up to you know Nick de Vries and, and ask him how it's going, um, or Antonio Felix da Costa and get some thoughts at critical points in the race, that was amazing. Seeing somebody's first reaction to Le Mans is magical. The opening shot where he's alongside the main straight and it's timed to perfection. It's not quite as good as the shot of that presenter talking about rockets taking off. But it reminded me <laughs> yes. of that. It was beautifully <laughs> timed for him, the kind of pullback to being on the Mulsanne as a car goes whoom past. It reminded me of that. It also reminded me of the time you and I and Jack and a few other people went to the Nürburgring 24 hours and wandered into the tourist paddock car park and just stood yes. by the Dottinger Hoa yes. listening to cars go past. 
with big grins on our faces because, you know, even the little cars like Clio's and stuff were making mega noises and going really quickly. And then the full house GT3 oh, cars wow. come through and blow your socks off. And it felt like that. I loved this. It's worth mentioning in the same breath as Truth in 24 and some of the other amazing endurance documentaries that have been made. It really is a love letter to Le Mans. I would recommend everybody who's got a spare 50-something minutes, dedicate the time to watch it, the whole thing, start to finish. It's worth it. And even if you've been to Le Mans before, even if you're a hardened Le Mans file, if such a thing exists, there are three things really that I got out of it. The first is, like you say, there's Will's conversational approaching people having a chat. And you kind of feel like you're there with your mates having a chat. It's, it feels very authentic. His energy, his experience is very clear. The second is when he does interviews, and there are a couple of proper interviews. Yes, there was a really good one. I had, I'm, I was... I was doing something else whilst watching this uh, and I had to rewind because there was somebody wearing a mask giving an incredibly informed, erudite explanation of why Le Mans is so special and I couldn't recognise the driver with the mask on and I had to rewind it. It's Alex Wurtz and Alex Wurtz's interview is phenomenal. And it's concise but it's so full of information. It's that ability, that journalistic skill of getting information out of people by asking the right questions. And finally, the bit that really got me, and it's not something that Will is directly involved in, and he said all the way this is a team effort, is the montages. I think the montages were evocative of Le Mans. I think the one about two-thirds of the way through where it's it's the pit crews at night, it feels like glimpses of just being in those garages. Again, it's that almost informality where you are just deep into the experience of being in that event, right in the middle of it. It's, it reminded me of that film that was made a very long time ago when the Canon 5D Mark II just came out of the Nürburgring 24 hours. Do you remember what that was called? Yes. Um, we've had it on this. It was the two brothers, and uh, I want to call it Skillshare, but it's not Skillshare. <laughs> we'll come back to what it was called, but it reminded me of that. I know that Will and his team were able to use quite a lot of the broadcast footage in there, which really helped because they, they were able to tell some more of the story that they weren't necessarily able to capture with their cameras the on on track stuff really helped fill in around the interviews but um i agree i i thought the montage work was excellent which is what led me to that comparison with that documentary that we are going to have to look up and then i'll edit it into the show so it seems seamless (laughs) it was called no i can't find it fast enough Damn my bad Googling skills. Stereo screen is the people you were thinking of. Stereo screen, yes. Uh, I've, I found an article. I had to look. 24 hours in 19,500 frames. Yes. They had a similar kind of technique um, and it just evoked that. I wouldn't. It's not copying it anyway. I think it's just... it. I, that was a really great bit of work. Um, that's a documentary about the 2010... Nürburgring 24 hours. It's not really a documentary. It's very much just visual. Yes, that's fair. It's it's and it's a mood piece, if you will. That sounds 
dreadfully arty. Anyway, we've we've talked. We've we've probably gone on longer than we should about this, but I thought it was such an amazing thing, and we both kind of watched it at the same time and both realised what an amazing piece of work this is. Will's promoted it on his Twitter feed um, quite a lot, and I honestly cannot recommend it highly enough. It's probably better than the actual Le Mans race this week, um, or last week, which is what brings me. Yeah, well, I was going to say we should do the. Um, what we've been watching and what I've been watching is uh, Le Mans, which I thought was whisper it quite tedious. <laughs> I have watched the Belgian Grand Prix last weekend. I watched almost all of it, even though nothing happened. <laughs> yes. I've been watching a bunch of like just random stuff on YouTube, the Speed Academy channel, which as I always say, does not have enough um, views are doing a really cool pair of Toyota Supra builds the classic, um, is it F80 Supra? The the, the swoopy one, oh, the swoopy one with the big know. wing. Yeah, they've yeah. got two of them. The one. one they're doing a, like a, a an OEM um, OEM plus build, so they're putting it back to standard with twin turbos, mostly standard engine, doing it up cosmetically and putting it sort of back to normal. And I think they're going to you know uh, punt it onwards. And then they're doing a big power single turbo monster build. Uh, I'm enjoying both of those because I really love their kind of presentational style. Uh, I love the way they do their work. It's quality work and it's done well with quality parts. Oh, and finally, one thing um, before I forget, the excellent Bring Back V10's podcast from the race um, made me delve back into the F1 TV archives and watch the 2003 Mm. Brazilian Grand Prix, which was weirdly apropos because... It's very much like the Belgian Grand Prix of 2021. Downpour conditions starts behind the safety car. Only this time they kind of they're able. The I think the lack of wind in Belgium was what did for the Formula One people, so it couldn't blow the storm mm. away. But you know the the race started in pretty wet conditions, and they had rivers running across the track, and people span out. And there's some really awful footage of cars that have span out, just having hit the barrier. The drivers got out, and the safety team have just left the car on the track for other cars to hit. <laughs> Isn't that the one where they were all going off at the bottom of the center S's? Yes, that's and the one. Yeah. Um, oh, so the the, um, the Bring Back V10's podcast did an excellent episode on how that race went down, all the things leading up to it in the actual race and how it was that Giancarlo Fischer came to win it. Um, and it prompted me to go back and re-watch the race. And he really enjoyed the, the I think, ITV coverage back then, 2003, um, with James Allen and Martin yeah. Brundle. Brundle yeah. is as excellent as always. James Allen is not as annoying as I remember him. <laughs> it d- did make me think that Crofty's pretty much James Allen too. <laughs> I, somebody said he was quite Alan Partridge-y, which I think I think the thing with David Croft and I I absolutely appreciate what a hard job it is to do live commentary. And as much as all of us think we can do better, we know we can't. There are I think a few times when he when he's filling in particular it does now, get you, a bit partridge. The problem with you making this reference is you know that I have never seen a single episode of Alan Partridge. It's like The Office. I've never seen a single episode of The Office either. I don't understand (laughs) why it's funny. I mean, I'm not good with that kind of comedy anyway. I don't understand why Alan Partridge is funny. I don't understand why The Office is funny. It's it's like, I I don't understand. So you know how you'd never seen Bad Boys? Yeah. The feeling you have now is the feeling I had when you told me you'd never seen Bad Boys. (laughs) So 
I do. I do have you noticed that Crofty does have certain catchphrases? That yeah, come he does. Up so does well. Brundle. Um, uh, and to the point where my wife recognises some of the Brundleisms that come out now, going straight to the scene of the accident. <laughs> scene of the accident. <laughs> yes. Running out of The pedal talent. works both ways. That was one I think I said when we were watching the Grand Prix. And I say watching the Grand Prix when we were sat at the sofa, sort of with it on in the background, wondering if they were going to get started. And I said that I guarantee you, Martin Brundle will mention that the pedal works both ways. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me and laughed, and indeed he did. And I get it, you have these catchphrases. Um, I'm sure if you were to go back and listen to a swathe of, of Murray, right, you know, you've got Murrayisms, even James Hunt was probably not immune to having um, a particular turn of phrase that he used. One of my favourite Brundle ones was when Jerome D'Ambrosio was still racing, uh, and Martin Brundle, he had some kind of incident on track, and Martin Brundle said, oh, it's all gone to custard for D'Ambrosio. And there was a... <laughs> There was a pause, and then he said, I'm so glad I got that one out of the way. <laughs> Love that one. And that's not really a Brundle, isn't that? Just a particularly amusing bit of commentary. Anyway, moving on, what have you been watching other than all the things that I've just mentioned? <laughs> a lot of Le Mans. The, so one thing I, I saw mentioned was about the Channel 4 highlights of the Brazilian Grand Prix, which had to be put back because it, the race went on so long. And I thought... I'm curious because somebody on Twitter reckoned it was just going to be Steve Jones, like the, like the credits roll that he goes, thanks everybody. And then it just the end credits and that's it. <laughs> that's um, but that would have been a wonderful meta commentary <laughs> on the, the thing. But I have to say, to be fair to them, if you want to see how to put together a highlights package and tell a story, they did a fantastic job to get 55 minutes out of it. Bearing in mind, the coverage basically started at the like the one hour restart. So they showed all of the on track action, which isn't saying much. Um but, <laughs> Well that took yeah, like six minutes. But there was no qualifying, there was no like uh, I think that, I think they might have showed Perez going into the barrier on the formation lap. Which, Which is very funny. I did <laughs> laugh. Doesn't surprise me. Sorry, Sergio, um, but it was funny. He's, this is the thing: you go and drive for the enemy. You're now just going to be the butt of all of my jokes. But what I think they did really well was not only sort of showing the race, but then actually wrapping up what had happened, how people felt about it, what it meant for the teams, what it meant for the drivers, showing a bit of the post-race. Um, interviews, the podium ceremony, but actually putting together something where it wasn't too one-sided. It wasn't everybody just bit, Ugh. but it was it was actually quite a good way. And I think if you were to show that to somebody and say, "Here's a whole Grand Prix's worth of footage. Here's all the interviews you can do. Here's all the talking heads punditry you can do. Look at how this is broken up. Look at how they've approached it. Look at." You know, that talking to George Russell versus talking to, you know, um, I was going to say Kimi Raikkonen because he's just retired, but, you know, just getting talking to different drivers because Lando Norris could have won the race, but he dropped it on Saturday. You've then got George Russell who's like, huh, it's second. And yeah, it was, that was that was kind of an odd highlight of the Belgian Grand Prix was that. The only highlight. I mean, yeah, there, there's a, the whole time to come out of that, but... Um... I I don't tend to watch because, of course, I have Sky. And 
but it may be worth seeking out, like you say, just as a as a as an intellectual exercise. It's a it's a good thing to watch. One last thing that I have been watching, I rewatched Baby Driver on Netflix, which is silly because I've got the Blu-ray anyway. But it's on Netflix, and I just saw it one night. It feels like people aren't talking about it now because it's not new. Go back and watch it again. Enjoy the craftsmanship. My God, it is still such a corking film. I've gone back and rewatched this quite recently as well. Um, and I think I was actually bothered to not just stream it on Netflix, but go and find <laughs> my 4K Blu-ray of it and stick it on. I do tend to do that for mm. action-y type movies. And I really, really enjoyed it. I've also gone back recently and watched um, a couple of other Edgar Wright movies, Hot yep. Fuzz, which is again, impeccably put together. And The World's End, the third one in the Cornetto trilogy, which is equally impeccably put together, but a bit darker. Edgar Wright is just such an interesting filmmaker that even though he may not ever get to make Baby Driver 2, the fact that we've got Baby Driver on its own is still brilliant. So, yeah, do go back and check it out if you haven't watched it in a bit. Speaking of films that you've watched recently... We had some listener feedback after our last Michael Bay extravaganza calling you out for saying that Armageddon was rubbish. <laughs> yes. Defend I did, yourself, Spain. I did, I did see this, and I think I did respond on the Automovie pod um, with a quote of dialogue from the very end of the movie, which represented how poor it was. Um, I'd have to go dig out the, the tweet to see what the response was, but I don't actually have to defend it myself because the film's star, Ben Affleck, has done a much better job of ridiculing the movie than I ever could. If, <laughs> if you get the opportunity to dig out quotes from or even listen to the commentary track for Armageddon that was put together when they did a Criterion release for it. Ben Affleck taking the mickey out of the movie he's starring in is one of the funniest (laughs) things I have ever heard. So the the questions that he was apparently asking Michael Bay on the set included, well, why, why are they sending drillers up onto the asteroid? Why do they need to do that? Why don't they just teach astronauts how to drill <laughs> and michael bay would go you know what ben shut up shut up ben <laughs> and then he's ridiculing bruce willis as he's describing you know his amazing drilling thing and he's saying but i just don't understand how it's so difficult drilling is not difficult aim the drill downwards and turn it on <laughs> honestly it's worth a look uh, armageddon i i mean I enjoy watching it, but it's a right-wing nutjob fantasy movie, entirely scientifically inaccurate, utterly ridiculous, and about three-quarters of an hour too long. But I still kind of enjoy watching it, particularly the first (laughs) bit. Um, I get it. A lot of people love it. I can understand that because I spent 20 years defending Driven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, that is plumbing the depths. Yeah, it is. And that is a really genuinely indefensible movie. So uh, thank you very much for getting in touch and telling me I'm wrong. I will respectfully agree to disagree on that one. Um, But if you haven't heard Ben Affleck talking on the director's commentary, I'm sure there are clips of it out on the internet. Go and listen to it because it's really (laughs) funny and it's nice to see an actor that can poke fun at himself. (laughs) We also had our our friend Matt Lange talking about Ferraris as only he can, explaining to us that was it, let me get this the right way around. In Bad Boys Two, they had a Ferrari five fifty as a five seven five. Is that the right way around? Yeah, I'm going to look at the chat for this, but I think the 
the gist of it was that all of the close-up shots were of a 575 and all of the exterior shots were of a 550 um i think that that's the way around it was either way the film crew and um editors played fast and loose with the accuracy of you know is it a 550 is it a 575 i must admit when we were talking about this in the last part i thought i really should go and check that it is because someone probably matt will pull me up on the fact (laughs) that it's not a 550 in fact and indeed he has but you know it's it's still the nicest looking modern v12 ferrari um probably now a classic and it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of that chase or indeed the rubbishness of the CG Ferrari. <laughs> so what he said was, in Bad Boys 2, the close-up shots are of a 575, while the action shots are of a 550, sometimes with the 575 headlights CGI'd on. Not sure on the Foley if it's a flat-plane V8 or a V12 with an aftermarket tube exhaust. Again, yeah, I kind of wondered if it was a, of an aftermarket. It just doesn't sound like a V12. It sounds wrong. Mm. It sounds Italian and, and high-revving, so perhaps perhaps I'm wrong. But either way, I mean, Matt's provided the goods in terms of Ferrari nerdery, so we thank you for that. And I would say go and watch the first half of Bad Boys 2, and then when it starts getting a bit tedious and noisy, turn it off. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Coming up soon, we have some new content to talk about, starting with the trailer for the new series of Car Trek, which looks fantastic. It looks so much fun. This this seems to be a series that is finding its feet, and this current trailer for Series 5, Season 5, I'm not sure how they what they call it, yep. um, is the three protagonists, Ed Bolian, Tyler Hoover, and Freddie Hernandez, are off in their their own cars and uh, the, the sort of their own fancy cars so um Tyler Hoover's in his Mercedes SLS Freddie's in his um V12 the Aston yeah it's the Vanquish is it the Vanquish uh, no it's the DBS that's right Freddie's in his DBS and Ed's in his Murcielago have I said that right <laughs> according to him yes <laughs> And it's, I think it's kind of like a rich playboy type theme. So they're driving a McLaren F1. They're going on a private jet. The The comedy seems very good in this. The, the back and forth um, ribbing of one another seems very good. I, I just think that they've found a groove now mm. and they've found a... a, a they found their niches within the trio of who is funny and who can mock and so on. I, I'm really looking forward to this. It has, like we always say, this has the feel of classic era Top Gear, which is exactly what they were aiming yes. for. And they've absolutely nailed it with this trailer. You could imagine this trailer starting with the BBC logo and then the Top Gear thing and it being this and, you know, cut to, you know, a, a fuzzy number two on a green background doing a spin in true old Top Gear fashion. It's that good. It's that accurate. And I cannot wait to see it. It's the opening line of Tyler Hoovey just on mic going into a, into a grocery store and saying, I need a sturdy condom and some, some zip ties. <laughs> it's very, very well edited. I don't know if they actually edit it themselves or whether... I don't think you they know, do. They, 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 the team's doing it, but they've, they've really got a handle on how to present it. There's also one line that made me smile, which... You know that thing about all comedy is rooted in truth, where um, there was Ed and Tyler saying, um, as um, Tavares was driving past, and it's like, we can't let anything happen to him. His channel gets all the views. 
I don't know if that's strictly true, but yes, that that I did. Yeah, it just, that it did just make me laugh. I think yeah, they 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 are very very self aware, and that's part of what makes this work yeah. so well. It reminds me a bit of them doing the impression of one another in in the, yes. the Christmas one a little while ago. <laughs> one thing I did notice as well, and this is entirely my brain just going foots for a moment. I was watching the trailer, going, "Oh, they've got like the Grand Tour music, or they've got music." from something else that they're reusing for this for this for the trailer and i realized after going back and looking at some of the previous episodes the theme music from car trek is now so ingrained in my brain i don't hear it as this piece of like copyright free youtube music it is the theme music for something proper and in doing so i kind of went oh hang on this has actually now got that association in my head. I just hear the music and it's them. Yes, I can tell you another example of that. The autocar.co.uk video music. <laughs> Which came up somewhere else. Yes, I, think I remember was- you saying. You heard it somewhere else because it's just some random royalty-free bit of intro music. And if you were to hear it out of context, you'd be like, what? No, that's the autocar music. It, it's the full Scooby-Doo. Just, oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of TV programmes coming up, Word has reached us that there may be another go at the Evo Car of the Year on TV again. Nothing confirmed as yet. I saw this in the show notes and went, oh, I did not know that. I wonder if they'll kind of not plan it because, you know, we watched Eco TV last year and the first of the two episodes was a little rough around the edges and the second one was much better and it felt like they'd actually told the presenters, (laughs) sorry, they'd told the team Mm. who were doing Ecoti that they were going to have a film crew there on the day the film crew turned up. And so the first sort of day of filming around Anglesey was a little rough and ready with even sort of seasoned presenters looking a little out of their comfort zone because they weren't able to Mm. marshal their thoughts into TV mode rather than road tester mode. Um, and the second film where they're up, I think the following week they're up in Scotland or wherever it was, the Borders Roads, yeah. is is more slick and kind of what you'd come to expect from an Ecoti TV movie. I I would be interested to watch again, genuinely interested. Ecoti is one of my favourite issues of Evo across the whole year and I'm still a subscriber like 25 years later. I know a ton of my wow, friends yeah. who've kind of got bored and stop their subscriptions or claim that it's all the same or that it's not for them anymore. And I can totally see that. It is tricky to stay subscribed to something when a lot of the metal that's being reviewed is stuff you're never even going to see, let alone drive. But I still love the mag, so (laughs) I'm still subscribed, so I'm still probably going to watch this. And I think messaging some of the, the team after the show and when we were doing the podcast... There's a genuine enthusiasm for doing it. We talked about how we thought it could be improved. And if any of the Evo team listen to this, I mean, we are more than happy to to give our thoughts and, and give our input as to how we think it could go. Because it could be a real, I was going to say tentpole. Is it tentpole? Flagpole. Marquee? Whatever. Moment. Um, <laughs> And marquee moment. I think all of that works. Yeah, flagpole moment might not be the same. That's something slightly different sure when it's... you take one of those blue tablets that they advertise on Sky. <laughs> that they advertise slightly too much. Those adverts really <laughs> annoy me because if you if you actually watch them, it's like <laughs> I seem to remember we, I, during the Belgian Grand Prix they were advertising basically erectile dysfunction treatments 
and old man dating apps. And basically they've gone, right, we know our target audience is 50 plus old men, which I don't think is true anymore. I am seeing stuff yeah. all over the web on, you know, blogs that are, have nothing to do with motor racing or anything like that, featuring Lewis Hamilton, featuring mm. motor racing, because they've watched Drive to Fucking Survive. Yeah. And it has hooked them and it has got them into the sport in such a way. And I, I know we've talked about the Belgian Grand Prix, but that was a way of totally screwing over those fans. Absolutely. Um, quite apart from the, the the poor people who'd paid to be there. But I, I mean, Drive to Survive has been such an astonishing success um, in bringing in new fans mm. that... I, 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 the the reach of it is just astonishing. But anyway, yes, Ecote TV. Sorry, Ecote TV. I'm on board for it. Uh, honestly, the team don't need us to no. tell them what to do. No. They all know exactly what they're doing. Basically, just give Jethro and Henry the camera. And, and Adam Towler as well. Three and Adam Towler. Well, Adam's, Adam's an excellent driver, an excellent writer, and really coming into his own on film. Um, let's do, do some talking head stuff and get... Get the the usual suspects. Get Charlie Rose to film it, or Sam Riley. Although I know that, yeah, or Sam Riley, or any of the really good people um, in the sort of automotive space to film it. Um, I suspect, like you say, there's a third party production company involved. But look forward to seeing it. Let's uh, move on from Ecoty TV. Shall we talk? Right. So let's let's set the scene for because we're not doing a movie review or two this week. Instead, this really was inspired by a Twitter conversation that. I was either involved in or stumbled across, but in, but it's one of those that kind of stuck in my head and was sort of going round. And it was talking about Hoovy's Garage. And this is kind of the starting point. This isn't just going to be us tearing Tyler and you on because he's basically one of the nicest people on all of YouTube. But there was somebody saying the format of Hoovy's Garage is getting a bit stale. And I thought... It kind of shocked me because I kind of, I, it was one of those things, you know, that you, I, I always watch it and it's what you expect and all this sort of stuff. And suddenly I started thinking, you know what? I think they're right. And I think we're going to start going through a period now, post lockdown, which has no doubt shuffled things up and we'll come back to that later. But people are now getting to a point where they're going, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What's going on? Viewers maybe drifting out of shows. So I thought, let's talk about what the state of car YouTube is at the moment and where we think it might be going. Because also in the last episode, we were talking and saying, you know what? Is there really much more life, much more life in the Grand Tour? And I think, look at Top Gear and think, has that got a lot more life in it? So let's start with let's start with Hoover's Garage because just because that was the catalyst for this. I'm really starting to struggle now with the format of I bought the cheapest X and now I'm going to fix it. Because I'm kind of getting to the point now where I'm going, why? I get it. I understand. And especially if it's a car you're not that invested in, you're not that interested in. Uh, I think we saw that with the Hummer that he bought mm. that clearly he's interested in, but I think a significant portion of his viewership is not. Whether that's because the Hummers have a particular connotation or if it's the kind of... Um, they're not 
that common and they're not the kind of car that most of us might aspire to in the same way that we aspire to an E39 M5 mm. or a Mercedes SLS or something along those lines, I don't know. But yeah, the 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 cheapest X in America, and here's what's wrong with it, I can see why people are tired with that. I do enjoy if it is a car that is particularly rare. Yep. And I think he's done this with his... He's currently working on fixing up an E39 M5, which, as we've covered many podcasts, is one of my favourite cars of all time. But that is a car that I think is significant Mm. in being... You know, it's the last totally loved M5, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. It's a modern classic, and the one he's got is an absolute basket case. And there is some joy in seeing something like that be brought back to life. Mm. The thing I always find with, with, with Tyler is because he uses third parties to do all of the restoration, it's, it's, you know, his mechanic, the wizard, or it's the car ninja. Um, You don't get to see all of the work being done in the way that you do with say Tavarish or um, V-Tuned or some of the other more mechanically minded YouTubers where you actually get to see them digging into the problems of the cars. Mm. One of my favourite channels, which I highlighted really early on in the podcast, one of my favourite channels at the moment is Legit Streetcars, which is secretly and, and sort of quietly been growing and growing and growing because the guy who presents it, Alex, is a really, really competent mechanic. You know, he worked for Mercedes-Benz for years and then he worked for uh, the Chicago Police Department, um, you know, running their their fleet of cars effectively wow. and fixing them all up. And he's recently quit that six figures job to go full-time on YouTube. But he has a particularly great way of... Because he's a mechanic, he is doing everything himself. He's mm. tearing engines to bits and he's talking you through, you can do this. And I've really enjoyed this because... If you see someone doing it like that and explaining the steps and showing you how they do things and giving you little hints and tips on the tri- on, along the way, it does give you the confidence to think, yeah, you know what, I can change a set of discs on a yeah. car or I can fix this. And that's actually worked with me. I've actually, the car I've only recently sold, but I was maintaining it for two and a half years without ever taking it to the garage. Wow. And, and I did a ton of stuff on it. Most of that is because of Tavarish and Alex from Legit Street Cars showing that these things are not beyond you and you can do them and it is basically a very big Meccano kit for a lot of these sort of mechanical cars and particularly this generation of cars that I think all of the sort of builder YouTubers are in love with is that late 90s, early 2000s to early 2010s cars before everything became unbelievably complicated Mm. and had a million computers in it and touchscreens and so on. I think everyone kind of checks out at that point. And those cars are not going to be seen being rebuilt, especially, or if they are, then it is just, I bought this part from the dealer and I slung it on. Um, but yeah, the, the here's a cheap car, I'm going to fix it up and then I'm going to flog it on. It is tricky to, to, to sustain that. And I do wonder if these, I mean, I hope they're, these are smart people and they're mm. going to be, they're going to have diverse income streams. I don't think any of them are totally reliant on YouTube. I think there's a significant reliance on YouTube, but I think all of them are going to be going, what's my plan B? Matt Farrow has talked about this an awful lot and and has said it, I think, in response to people like Tavarish, is that you can't rely on a platform you don't control. Mm. 
for your for your income. That's why Matt Farah has a podcast with advertising on it that he does control, and you know other income streams as well as you know he's got a successful business for car storage now. And you know I when I was at university one of the best lecturers I had was talking about working in the music business because I did a music degree. And he said, honestly, the only way to survive in this business is to have what he called, it was a plural economy. That's the phrase Mm. he used. You don't get your income from just one spot. So him teaching at the university wasn't his full-time job. His full-time job was doing freelance audio engineering and also um, writing music for orchestras and also doing a bit of teaching on the side and also doing X, Y, and Z. (laughs) So he laid out that this is how you make a sustainable income from this particular field. Mm. And I think YouTube is going... I think YouTubers, automotive YouTubers, are going to have to start looking at that or mixing up the format the stuff that they're doing with car trek is actually using the cars that they've bought i love that i love seeing uh you know a build and then the car actually go on a road trip i'm more interested in the in the kind of the drive to and from the wizard's shop from hoovy where he's in a car that's been fixed and he's actually enjoying it that's that's you're you're taken along for the ride that's enjoying it vicariously i was thinking actually earlier when i was preparing my notes for this because we do actually research this believe it or not how few youtube channels i can think of that have two main people at the core and there are there are quite a few but they seem to be in the minority and how well car trek and by extension grand tour top gear work as a trio and how few channels there are on YouTube that actually have multiple presenters regularly. Yeah, the, the ones that spring to mind with two presenters that are both equally good at presenting, Speed Academy, mm, I'm going to yep. keep pushing them. They're, they're really comfortable, both of them presenting on camera. Uh, Mighty Car Mods is the, like the granddaddy one that springs to mind. Yep. They're both complementary personalities. They're both excellent at presenting. They both like slightly different things. That's a key thing, having your presenters have overlapping but also differing interests Mm. because then you get some agreement and you get some disagreement and that's what gives you the the sort of the impetus to the the entertainment and the the, the push forward. See, one channel that did spring to mind and it was kind of inspired by Mighty Car Mods and partly because it's one of the few that I've really been sort of falling into recently was... Bad Obsession Motorsport, where we've talked about Project Binky at length. But there's a couple of things that really stuck out to me. So one is that they are absolutely, like you were saying, about the build. You see them do everything. You see them, like I said, the last episode I think I talked about it was literally them fitting a wiring harness into a shell for 20 minutes. And that was basically it. But I appreciate it's it's probably hard to be engaging and do the job as well, which is why you know Mighty Car Mods make it look easy. Tavarish makes it look easy. Hmm. Um, Speed account, you know, the, the good channels, and I'm sure I'm missing out tons of, of these, they make it look easy when they're doing it. And when they don't cut away to a build lapse, hmm. um, you know, when they don't use a time lapse and, and music and they actually show the hard work going in, I find that, 
more engaging than say vtuned who does amazing work but does rely an awful lot on and here's a thing and i did this thing and then here's a time lapse of me mm. fitting it um see i think there's a fine line there because one build channel that i often struggle with sometimes is ratarossa for I, I i think that sometimes there is a time and a place for being thorough in what you're showing and sometimes you just need to do the grunt work. And I find that Ratarossa can really kind of wander back and forth over that line. And also, I I honestly wonder what's going on with him because if it's one guy in his garage filming on his phone, cool. There are a lot of channels like Team Prawn Racing that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago who do that and they do it very well. When you've got... A 512BB that you've basically taken to every nut and bolt, and you've got a Challenge Stradali project, and you've got another thing, and then you start getting in some like slightly dubious sponsors. And Hoovy did this as well. I don't know if you noticed. You know, he did that um, episode with which Lamborghini would, should I sell because basically I'm, I'm loaned up to the hilt. Yes. He started doing adverts for, is it Raid Shadow Legends? One of these yeah, multiplayer any of gambling, but not but you, you games. Get, you get a lot of those on, on BS for Build, and I suspect that's because the guy's a gamer, and so he's able to sell the concept more because he plays them a bit. I don't I do not do mobile gaming at all, so I, I don't play these, but clearly people do, and clearly these ads pay but yeah they are slightly questionable mm. um and particularly ratarossa when be, when because he, you know he doesn't play them well he started he did one not long after he took on the 512 where it was it was some cryptocurrency wallet thing so immediately my spidey senses were just like oh no 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 yeah i i think and this is what I say when you can't rely just solely on YouTube and so they do have sponsors and partners and so on. But when it's like some kind of slightly manky loot crate type deal where yeah. you pay $40 and you get uh, promised $60 worth of stuff and it will definitely not be rubbish stuff you'll throw in the bin straight away, <laughs> honest. Um, I, I mean, I, that bothers me far more than seeing a bunch of slightly balding 30-somethings and early 40-somethings selling me keeps. Fortunately, at the moment, touch wood and everything, I still have some hair, so I don't need <laughs> keeps. But I'm willing to let them try and sell me keeps because I can see that they all need it and possibly maybe using it. <laughs> and if it pays for them to keep doing the content I yes. love, I don't mind. I mean, I do subscribe to YouTube Premium, so I don't have all the ads and stuff in interrupting the shows. But if yep. there's in-show... Um, partnerships or sponsorships I don't mind it's like podcasts that do that where they have ad reads you can skip it if you want and sometimes I do uh, but sometimes I just wind down the volume control of my speakers and just let it roll speaking of which I'd like to welcome our new sponsor Manscaped <laughs> no 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 we're not uh, not quite there yet one thing I have noticed recently and it started what a year ago or more is the number of YouTubers who are starting to get premises for their work. And I mean, this is, again, this is nothing new. Have you ever seen the channel Unboxed Therapy? I have not. Okay, so Unboxed Therapy 
was a channel that did unboxing videos. And I, th- I, I think earlier I looked at like, there are 18 million subscribers. They, their studio space is astronomical because what they've basically done, you know, in one of the Batman films, when they go down to the bunker and it's like bare concrete floors and then just solid diffused light front to back, left to right. Yes. What they've done is they've built essentially a studio. They've taken like a warehouse space and they've built a... Oh, I can't remember what the company is called now. But it's essentially like a 300-panel diffused light ceiling. So they it looks from their usual like vantage point like this just infinity tunnel to black. But they can make it brighter, make it dimmer, run patterns, light some objects, not others, all with this whole thing. Linus Tech Tips has built a business on YouTube. You know, MKBHD has a big studio. And now even relatively small channels, and I'm talking like Mr. JWW, has a unit at Mr. Heritage, which is a shooting space as well as an office and other things. It does make me think, I, I suppose, A, it's if you can afford to 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 rent or if you can afford the, the whatever whatever is the lease or mortgage mm. payments even or whatever it is that becomes a business expense because all these guys are going to have limited companies or whatever the american equivalent is yeah, yeah and and so you can offset that against your tax liability it makes good business sense and if you're trying to shoot things in your garage it probably <laughs> you know gives you a bit more space to play with Tavarish has had a you know a really big ass oh yeah unit for ages now which is which is so good um and there's a, like you said there's a lot of them doing it and it, it makes sense but it also that that to me feels like there's a realization that maybe production quality needs to go up mm. or basic separating business and personal life if you're, <laughs> if you're not filming at your garage or your living room maybe it's a good idea to have a separate space mm. and also that's the thing i said before diversification making sure that this is not your sole um point of income i'm really reminded of it i i totally nothing to do with cars i watched a discussion between three guitarists uh they're modern rock stroke metal guitarists mm. who were talking about the business of being in a band in the current era of you know streaming and so on and so on yeah and and they were basically saying that you know if you want to go on tour this is american artists touring in europe pre-brexit mm-hmm. It just didn't make any sense financially. It made you no money. It cost a lot of money and you didn't get enough back. Mm. You'd do it for audience you know, share and so on and for the experience, but you wouldn't actually get any money from it. Um, and the way that musicians, and especially I think it's easiest for guitarists, to diversify their income so it's not just reliant on, on CD sales and concert tickets, is you diversify your business. So all three of them have got signature guitars from guitar mm. companies, which means when somebody buys one of your signature guitars, you get a cut of that sale. Some of them own their own companies that make um, you know, effects pedals. Some of them own other or have a share in a company that makes audio samples, and or even just and, a chain of restaurants or a clothing line. Yeah, or whatever. exactly. You know, they they have these things. They're not solely dependent on right. Well, they need the band needs to be gigging or recording and selling CDs in order for me to make money. Mm. That's not the case anymore, um, and that's that's a, a you know a thing they found a, a, a decision they've reached, and I think that's coming to YouTube. 
I think that is going to come to YouTube um, and you're going to see, or you're going to notice that they're not utterly reliant on views and videos for their income. It makes me worry about channels that are solely reliant on that because you think, well, what happens if YouTube changes, it changes the algorithm or if you find that people who were engaged with your content three years ago have grown up and moved on. Mm. It was interesting listening to the interview that Johnny Smith did with um, Shmi150, which was interesting reading the comments because a lot of people wrote, I don't like his content, but I like the guy. He switched on, even if I don't like the way he presents or I don't like what he does. And what, cause what, one of the things that he said was that basically he's found what works. You know, he can do his thing. Like, he literally has a stockpile of these HD Sony Handycams because that's what he uses. And if one breaks, he'll get another one out of the box and he'll use that one. And he has a workflow and he has a style and he has an audience. And to be honest, you know, he's never sort of bought a, you know, a Panasonic GH4 or a Sony Alpha and, you know, bought a slider and gone, how can I make this cinematic? He's gone, this is what I do. And I've optimised what I do so much that it's it's clearly working for him. And I think that there is, there's probably a, a bit of a sense when you are so big that as long as you can keep the viewers churning and you can keep doing stuff and you can work with manufacturers and you can you know, put the hours in because pre-lockdown, you know, he would be posting regularly. I know both um, Misha and, and Robert Mitchell from Apex were saying, you know, when he was there, how hard he was working on this. But I think that there is, there's a point with, with particularly with Tim, you know, he's got this car collection he does other bits of media work. He worked with Mercedes. Mr. JWW works with, uh, you know, McLaren. I think he unveiled something Aston Martin-y, and he's been doing a lot of Aston Martin stuff. So there's bits of, of diversification. The one that sprung to mind as somebody who is kind of least exposed, and I I say what I'm about to say with no knowledge of ownership stakes or, or or anything like that is actually Henry Catchpole because he does that thing that motoring journalists have been doing forever, which is he will drive Sebastian Loeb's Citroen and he'll do a video for Carfection. He'll do the words for Evo. He'll do another thing over here. He, you know, has that ability to sort of extract the work from a thing and he can move as kind of the market moves, really. Yeah, Chris Harris has talked about this before. Mm. Um, I think when sort of pre-Top Gear, post-Auto Car, where he was basically a freelancing writer for a number of titles, that he was able mm. to do a shoot and and sell it five times over to ver- in varying formats with the same set of um, photos supplied to lots of different outlets over the world. Yeah. That's not so much a thing now, but it was it was a thing then. And... You know, he, with with his interest in collecting cars now, that's him. I think he's always had a diversified income. Yes, and I think that's 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 him. He's very switched on, making sure he's very savvy. He's very switched on. Although he'll argue the contrary, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I 
I think that is him looking to the future of when he might not be involved in Top Gear. And to go back to your your thing about how how long can the Grand Tour keep going as it is, I would suggest, like I did before, probably not that much longer. Maybe they'll do a special a year for a few more years and then they'll call it a day. Top Gear, I think, can run for longer, providing they keep refreshing the talent behind the three as much as they do maybe refresh the on-screen talent. I think the way to keep it fresh is to bring in new people with new ideas. Um, in behind the camera I know as much you, as in front. Behind the camera as much as in front. I know there's a core team who've been doing it for, for such a long time. I know you have your problems with the, the two Northerners <laughs> presenting, Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff. I, I maybe don't, they don't grate on me quite so much. Um I would say that the last series they did was extremely good quality for the yep. conditions they were working in and oh, the, God, you know, yeah, the constraints yeah. they had. I thought they produced some absolutely classic new, new, new Top Gear episodes. <laughs> Things that I'll go back and rewatch the, you know, the Cars Your Dad owned film was, mm. was a huge triumph. Um, the, the last one they did where they ended up doing like laps around near a lake in, in wetsuits. I forget the actual concept of that that thing but i thought that was funny as fuck um i think that's still got some legs in it because i think the presenters are a little bit younger and Mm. i think top gear is less wedded to it has to be these three people whereas the grand tour they've clearly decided there is no way we're going to try and keep the format running with new presenters yes the grand tour is their their vehicle yeah it's hammond clarkson and may Mm. so let's Instead of looking at that which may be towards the end of its life, what do we think about the state of the the content that's now on YouTube, assuming that the platform you know remains stable? Do we think that there are new creators, there are, are people doing interesting things, or are we getting into a period now where people kind of know a format and they're sticking with it and it's it's a lot of me too? I think we're already there in that point. I think the smart people have found ways to evolve away f- from that or evolve alongside it. I would say that um, with the case we talked about of Tyler Hoover and, and Tavarish and, and bringing on their mate Ed Bowley and Kartrek was a... a, a a chance they took it was a swing for the fences and and it mm. appears to have worked because in kind of aping that top gear thing they've struck gold with a format that really engages with people that they can do two or three of them a year alongside their existing stuff yeah. it maybe brings in a bigger audience to their existing stuff it gives them a second shot of exposure which leads them to do other things so you know i think Tyler Hoover's doing TV work alongside his YouTube work now. Ed Bolian has always had VinWiki as a business, plus being a car finder extraordinaire for people <laughs> means. I think there's that side of income. Um, I have a feeling that behind the scenes, Freddie has deals and partnerships with some of the, the companies that he works with on his channel. And I think that's where people are going to start going to they're going to go well i'm going to keep doing the same thing i'm doing now but behind the scenes i'm also going to get involved in something else Mm. um i'm going to start making plan b and maybe plan c and i think 
either that or you'll start seeing channels wither and die as the creators either realize they can't keep doing this as they maybe get older maybe they have families um maybe they move away from what they're currently doing and the audience doesn't follow them i think in some cases i think it'll just be people that never get to the targets they want to so maybe they've got ten thousand subscribers now and they you know they're desperate for that million and they just kind of go hang on i'm hit my head against the wall here and it's tricky there's a guy i follow who's a guitarist who just posted like one or two minute Mm. memes you can look him up kmac 2021 um who would do like effectively the youtube version of shit posting (laughs) but they'd be very very funny very well observed very well made and he had huge musical talent but he would do these and they would have millions of views but he hasn't posted for anything like that for Mm. two years because I have a feeling it got too much. The format he'd made, you know, the the restrictions he'd made for himself had boxed him into the point where he was like, I I, I don't want to do this anymore. I've done it to death. I have no more ideas. I wonder whether or not, like you said, with with the whole, I bought the cheapest X and now I'm going to fix it up. I think we're, we're at that point where people are going to stop watching those. And because YouTube gives them all the analytics in the world, Mm. they'll be able to tell that. It's whether or not they're able to pivot. Pivot. (laughs) See, a couple of channels that do spring to mind that I think give us a clue about where things are going. The first is The Late Break Show. I think since Johnny Smith has committed to that, I think that it's interesting and it's high quality the interview series is good because he is good at what he does i think he brings that journalistic background again he's he he brings that ability to sort of say right here's the story here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to show you know they've they've got the podcast they've got the merch they've now got the live shows they've got all of this stuff and i think it's the sort of thing that people can come to who aren't YouTube people, because I think there is a caveat with some YouTube stuff where you go, this is YouTube. It's, you know, to quote Sniff Petrol, it's the Ollie High Guys moment. It's it's the, <laughs> you know, it really can be that thing where you're going, hang on, why am I watching this? Why do I care about these people? Whereas Johnny Smith going, I'm going to go to a company who make wiring harnesses and we're going to look at how they make it and who they make them for and how difficult it is and all this sort of stuff. It's interesting. One of the guys that you might not recognise the name and some of our listeners might not recognise the name, but I guarantee you, you have seen his videos, is a guy called Mark Rober, who right now, as we record this, has, he's posted 100 videos, right? In God knows how long. He's, so he's done 100 videos in nine years, Right. He's currently at 19.6 million subscribers. The one, I think the first one I came across he did was um, a Squirrel Assault course. He did um, catching package thieves with glitter bombs. Um, he dropped a uh, Vauxhall Corsair onto a trampoline. He, you know, he just does these videos where you will watch a bit on Facebook and you will then get sucked into it. You will go to his, you know, you'll get recommended it. And it'll be just like, go. And each one is, it's really family friendly. You know, you can watch it with your family. You can watch it with your kids. You can watch it with your parents. They are completely self-contained. And he's really, really good at explaining what he's doing and making it entertaining and pacing the videos and doing the thumbnail and coming up with a title. And it 
kind of shows, I think, how lacking a lot of car people are when it comes to YouTube, particularly with that thing of we've got to post a video. You know, we need to post one every week. We need to post two every week. What can we do? What can we talk about? Where can we go? What can we see? And you just kind of go, hang on, you're filling here. You haven't got that editorial mind to go, what's the story? What's the thing I'm actually trying to get across? It's not just cold starts of my car because... But, you know, it's like, what are you actually doing? I think a lot of the build channels have found that you can do... They, they all aim for SEMA. They build a yeah. car for SEMA. And so they're able to just, that gives them a deadline and it gives them a storyline and it gives them a reason to post things on a regular basis and it gives them a reason to make progress. And jeopardy. It works well, but quite often I think they turn off as many viewers as they gain because if you're rushing, you're bodging. Yep. And if you're bodging, sorry, there's a, there's a sort of an acknowledgement by perhaps more cynical people, <laughs> that you're never going to go back and fix it afterwards. You're mm. just going to stay a bodge. And that has been true. I think one other thing that we've seen with YouTube, and one of the other areas that I really follow is travel vlogging. Because I, I find it interesting to vicariously travel. Hashtag van life. Hashtag van life. But when lockdown came along, it all shut down. And suddenly you had a load of people who just, just kind of went, oh my God, what am I going to do? Same with the car YouTubers, when the press launches suddenly weren't happening, because press launches are great for YouTube, because somebody pays all of your expenses, and you get to go somewhere nice and take nice videos and drive a nice car on somebody else's tyres. And I think that kind of probably shook up a few people to go, hang on, well, what am I actually doing here? And that's when you get things like... JM on Cars, who had the tale of the McLaren customer service horrors. Yeah, his his channel is one I've been meaning to mention and feature because it is kind of small and, and it's taking a lot of work to grow it because I think he's unflinchingly honest. Yep. He's very opinionated. And I think he has opinions that not everyone will share. And that doesn't endear him to some of the manufacturers. And also, I don't think he posts things in easy to digest little flashy chunks of, hi guys, I'm in the blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's, it's far more considered. It's far more wordy. Mm. Um, they're more in-depth. They're more nerdy. Yes. I think possibly because he'll delve into the serious detail and maybe that comes from a sort of love for championing slightly shonky English brands looking at you, Lotus, <laughs> and your Evoras. That's a channel that I feel like he's having to hustle and work hard to, to grow it and... And he does often, I do often wonder if he just stopped posting for like a month, I'd think, yeah, he's given up and decided to go and do something else. <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, I don't know. I, again, you look at some of these and you think, if you're taking the risk on making this your profession at the moment, I mean, good luck to you. You know, anybody who's taking on projects, taking on things, whatever it might be, it's, it's you know, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a cutthroat period. I think we're going to see, I think we are going to see some channels just slowly stagnate. But the one thing that I kind of have hope with is just the fact that anybody can come along with a phone and start a channel doing something incredibly nerdy. You know, if they are the world's biggest Vauxhall Nova fan and they start doing the ultimate Vauxhall Nova channel, like, good luck to you. 
that's going to get subscribers. It's just like, you know, there's a forum yes. for everything and now there's there's going to be a YouTube channel for everything. In order for it to be a success, I think you have to be willing to put the work in, but you've also got to be good on camera. Yep. You, you have to be a good communicator of information. And that is where I think a lot of channels can fall down and where you don't notice how good some of these channels we've just spent time lambasting for their tired and hackneyed formats are. <laughs> you don't notice how clever and how how comfortable they are on camera and how they are secretly giving you a lot of information while making it look like they're just yammering on at the camera and actually they're 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 better at it than you think and they're making something that is actually quite hard to do look easy and just to probably just bring this section to a close i recently rewatched again grand tour presents seaman because I didn't like that when it first came out. And I've probably now rewatched it half a dozen times. And that, in terms of making something difficult look easy and witty and clever and funny and intelligent and engaging, you know, Andy Wilman said in that interview that we mentioned in the last episode, he felt like they were leaning on the, the locations a bit too much sometimes. But I honestly, watching it, you got a bit of information, you got a bit of humour, you got struggle, you got jeopardy, you got all of these things. And admittedly, what you don't see with the Grand Tour is the crew of 30 people and all the fixers and all the spares and all the backups and all the mechanics and everything else that goes into making those shows. But at the core of it is those three guys with whatever is going to happen. And if they weren't as good a writers as they are, if they weren't as good of presenters as they were, these things could so easily just descend into quite boring trudges through the waterways of Cambodia. But it's down to them. It's down to their skill. And anybody who comes along and wants to start a YouTube channel, great. But everybody who makes it easy, makes it look easy is putting a lot of work into making it look easy. And I really really look forward to those people who can start something now discover that voice discover the writing talent discover the presenting talent and get to a point like we said right at the top of the show it's like the will buxton thing if you can just express all of that enthusiasm and that joy as he did consistently throughout that show you will always make a great youtube channel and if you have 10 subscribers, those will be the most engaged subscribers you will ever have. Shall we talk about Henry Catchpole now? Let's, let's because we've talked uh, about lots of other things for quite some time. It's going to be the hell of an edit to get this down. <laughs> um, so Henry's driven the Audi Sport Quattro S1 Evolution 2 iconic Group B rally car, the most iconic Group B rally car. I thought, as I mean, we always say these are great videos. This one I really enjoyed for one cut, and it's the cut between Henry doing left foot braking and Valtteri yes. doing left foot braking. And as soon as I saw his feet on the pedals, I thought, you have to do this cut. <laughs> and they did that cut. So full credit to that being in the script or for Charlie editing it. I thought that was just perfect. The car looks mega and sounds fantastic i 
do have a love for a five-cylinder turbo ever since having one in a, an old Volvo mm. T5, which was the best thing about that car, <laughs> the engine. Heroic turbo lag, but it made a wonderful noise and it went really well in a straight line. Did, was that also the one where you crashed a petrol station? Crashed a petrol? No, I didn't crash a petrol station. When did I do that? You didn't crash into a petrol station. No, no, you, 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 like, you had to do a splash and dash on the way to work or something and all, all the pumps reset. I can't remember. No, I don't remember that story. <laughs> it's the one we drove to the Nürburgring, though. Yes, and you, I think you slept in the back... Surrounded by German techno music. Yes. Do you find with these videos now, because I think Henry's becoming a bit of the go-to man whenever anybody has an old WRC car or or Group B car they want uh, showing off, that you kind of feel like you're in safe hands because you know it's going to be a really good video. Yes, you do. It's it, He is a guarantee of quality. And his his pieces are all uniformly excellent i don't think there's one where i've thought ah you know what that was obviously mm. a bit rushed they, they 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 hold themselves to a very high standard and i admire them for that because what they do is not easy as we've said with all these things but you know they make it look so easy and so slick and i think it's because of you know a lot of the time it's the cinematographer and the editing i thought the music they used i know it's probably you know a library <laughs> music or whatever but the music was particularly effective towards the end of this film so um hopefully you're already subscribed to Carfection. If you're not, you should be. Go and watch this because the 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 S1 Quattro is mm. Group B in a car. Even though it wasn't the most successful Group B car, as far as I'm concerned, that car is Group B. And, you know, the, the shots of it, I think, is it San Remo? Where it's just driving through a yes. sea of people. Um, it, uh, uh, as iconic a shot as you will ever see and you know the left foot braking Valterol's <laughs> footwork shot is just amazing and Henry's a good enough driver mm. to, to accurately be able to do that unlike Jeremy Clarkson in one of the Grand Tour episodes where he just stamped on all the pedals while the car was stationary I'm pretty sure that Henry would not do that no yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one so other than that what have you been watching on YouTube? we better whiz through these we had so I going back to what I was saying before about weirdy, nerdy, well-made videos about very specific interests. There is a guy called Chris O'Neill who's done a, a video about one of his bucket list cars. He owns a Toyota Land Cruiser. He loves Toyota Land Cruisers. One of his bucket cars is the Toyota Mega Cruiser. Do you know what a Toyota Mega Cruiser is? Haven't got the faintest idea. Right. In the 80s, 90s, the Japanese government looked at the Hummer and went, we need one of those. Toyota, off you go. And Toyota built a Hummer. If you look at a photo and you, you covered up the badges, you go, that's a Hummer. It's, you know, tall and wide and it's got, you know, eight feet between the passenger and the, and the driver. And it's utilitarian and it can inflate tyres on the move and it has 27 diff locks and portal axles and all that sort of stuff. And this is somebody going over this car in beautifully nerdy detail, just really enjoying the experience of being around this car that you don't ever see that many of or even really know that much about. No, I love the idea of a car that's got the word mega in its name. <laughs> <laughs> I think only in a, only a Japanese company could do that. And it sounds like Toyota looked at the Hummer and went, well, that's a pack of shit. We can do better than that. Yeah. And actually engineered like a really, really obsessively over-engineered Hummer. Yes. 
Like the what is it the Australians saying? If you want to go in the bush, take a Land Rover. If you want to come back, take a Land Cruiser. <laughs> Which, as a Land Rover fan, I always find a bit harsh, but I have no doubt that it may possibly be true. <laughs> it's entirely true. What was the Toyota People Carrier called? Was that was that called the Space Cruiser? Quite possibly. I, I'm Which, not a Toyota aficionado. The, yeah, happy. <laughs> One thing he does do with this is um, he takes it out on the freeway because it's in a museum of Land Cruisers, and he takes it out. It's like you know when you're driving a diesel and you put your foot down and you get more noise and no more speed. (laughs) And he does like a 0 to 60 run and it's just like, I'll tell you when it gets there. (laughs) It's... It's not a quick car, but it's it's a beautiful video. And it's, it's, it is that thing that YouTube does so well where somebody just goes, I love this thing and I get to drive it and I'm really excited. And look, it's got a CD player from the 80s and it's got this and isn't it wonderful? Um, my channel is a guy called Josh Revel. Again, probably not a name that a lot of people have heard of, but you may well have seen his videos recommended. You've probably clicked on one. Because what he does, these kind of video essays, but you never see him on camera. It is a cartoon of him and it's clips and it's stills and it's his commentary on whatever he's talking about that is is great because it's it's thorough, it's researched, it's balanced, it's sweary, it's clever, it's witty. He pulls no punches and it, it's it's really good, engaging videos of why Nikita Mazepin is, is awful. You sent me this, and I haven't I haven't watched this. I keep mean I have I mean to to watch it, but I haven't seen it yet. I haven't had time. I've been too distracted with other things. If you go through his channel, he does these things where it's like he will he will do a video about why has this person got an F one test. Well, let's look at their junior record. Well, that's not very good. Well, let's look at their even earlier junior record. Like, what is it? And he doesn't just sort of pick the easy fights. He doesn't just insult people for the sake of it. He actually kind of goes, well, there's got to be something here. Is it commercial? Is it a thing? Is it this? Why did this race pan out the way that it did? Why did this happen? And it it does that thing of, um, what was that video game series called that was never on YouTube but it was a guy discussing video games at very high speed. Oh, a- yes. I know the one you mean. Um, zero, zero. Zero punctuation. Zero punctuation. I loved those videos. Never always understood the references, but I loved the videos. It was that thing where, where you can be kind of, you can be cutting and you can be witty and you can be informed and you can be clever and you can call Nikita Mazepin a piece of pig shit and just carry on with the rest of that sentence. This this is in, it's in a similar kind of mold for motorsport, so I would I would highly recommend those. What are your picks? I haven't actually got a video pick this time. I could have gone with any number from the channel, which is Best Motoring Official, <laughs> which I was reminded of because, again, Matt Lang sent us a, a video of the um, Best Motoring Channel doing a video on the a, Alpine A110 versus the Cayman or the old style the original honda nsx and a two-gay showdown mm. and i i kind of i watched it and and had the subtitles on the subtitles are absolutely hilarious because it's all in japanese um <laughs> there is a, a random woman in a leopard print outfit who who just <laughs> yells for for no reason and oh i'm watching i'm watching this after we, we finish recording <laughs> there's some really amazing subtitle stuff but it's you know the driving's always on point you know they're, they're these these yeah. are 
serious drivers and they're pushing the cars hard on a sort of yeah a two-gay road a back road uh where there are consequences if you get it wrong and i i really enjoyed watching that and best motoring used to be this thing that you could go down a, a rabbit hole of looking at old videos of them doing huge track battles at like Suzuka or Suguba Circuit or, or some of them where the, the cars are being absolutely hammered to within an inch of their life. And if you want to know which one is actually quickest around a circuit, you watch these and you see somebody absolutely abusing the brakes on an M3 until it stops working. <laughs> So I would say some of the more modern ones, like this one on the Alpine A110, which, spoiler alert, does not win, um, with apologies to David Pook, who may once or twice have mentioned that he owns an A110. And, does uh, he? Yeah, I don't. he's never talked about it. I don't think he likes it no. very much. Um, Keeps that on the down low. Yes. So uh, the Best Motoring Channel's got a bunch of stuff. If you go diving into the archives, if you go to the videos page on their channel and then start looking for cars that look interesting uh, or or battles that look interesting there's bound to be something that there to take your fancy and it's all covered in amazing japanese characters and there'll be some proper <laughs> jdm stuff going on <laughs> really worth a watch so pick anything from there i didn't actually choose a highlight i kind of went looking going is there like an rx7 versus an r34 versus an f80 <laughs> supra but i couldn't find it in time there's bound to be one there somewhere so yes check out best motoring for some uh, sort of nostalgic Japanese JDM cars. And they do review some more modern stuff like the A110, which doesn't win. Sorry, Pookie. And with that, I think we should probably end this show, which currently has run to an hour and 40, which I need to chop <laughs> down to something slightly more listenable because otherwise we'll have turned everybody off. Um, assuming we haven't done that, uh, please do like, share and subscribe and all that good stuff. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts on the state of YouTube. If you are a YouTuber that we've mentioned, we're very sorry. We do still watch all of your stuff we promise um if you are if you were <laughs> if you're a youtuber that we haven't mentioned please let us know because we always love to find new creators new channels that we can talk about and champion yes that's true uh we are now both off to look for the cheapest 550 marinello in the country only to realize that we still can't afford one <laughs> until next time everyone <laughs>